You may have noticed when you walked in, some of you are wondering, you know, how can we help? And um, just a couple of real simple, tangible ways. As you leave this morning, there's, there's a little form you can take if you want to there's, where you can sign up for different things. But uh, there's also a couple of money trees. If you have a couple of dollars or if you're like me and you've got a Starbucks gift card in your wallet you haven't used, you know, clip that up there on, on those money trees. This is just a real tangible, easy way we can, uh, we can give and we can help. Uh, they are paying for things like doctors and child care that they weren't paying for a month ago. Um, and uh, any money we collect, we'll, we'll, we'll use for that purpose. But um, uh, we want to do that in a tangible way. And there's ways to give of your resources, but also ways to give of your time, like you said, like Jody said, to support them and, and love these kids and encourage them because they just need us to gather around them. And one thing I know is true of this church is that we always respond uh, when there's a need. So as we think about, as we think about who we are and who we're called to be, it's a powerful thought to think that on a fundamental level that in a very tangible, practical way, that this is who we are, that, that we are for others. You know, the church, when it first began, there was an otherness about the church, and I think it's because the first church took its cues from Jesus. These were men and women who were, who were first-time believers in Jesus, men and women who, for the first time, you know, they'd been praying for centuries for Jesus, for a Messiah to come, and then he came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again, and, and, and they saw him. And they began to gather every Sunday because that was the day that he rose from the grave. And, and as they gathered, there was this otherness about the church because there was an otherness about Jesus. And I think, I think that's true of, of us as a church. I know it is. I've seen it. But I think it's also something that we want to be even more true of us, isn't it, church? That this is who we want to be. We want to have that same otherness about us because there was an otherness about Jesus. And that's who we want to be. But you know, like I know, that what is so hard about that is that while we believe in that, while we want that, and while we pray for that, the reality is is that we live in a world, and we've talked about this before, but we live in in a world, especially in our American culture, especially right here in DFW, where it's a very me centered, self centered world. We live in a time and in a place where if things don't go your way and if things aren't the way you like it, then we just tend to complain and vent out loud on social media so everyone can know our, our discontent. And the root of that is, is our own desire for things to be the way that we like them. And if we don't like the way things are, we complain, we leave, we divide. And that's just true of the world we live in. And so what happens what I've seen happen in church, and maybe you've seen this too, is, is that when a need arises like this or something else, a hurricane, whatever, you know, the church rallies and gathers and unifies and comes together, and it's a beautiful thing. But in seasons where there isn't a crisis, in times where things aren't crazy and, and there's not, not, nothing pressing, what tends to happen in the life of a church is that we, that, that me-centered, self-centered mindset kind of creeps in the back door. And you've seen it like I've seen in churches where churches can, can get that way, where people inside of churches can get that way. But you know, like I know, that that is not who we're called to be. 
It's not even who we want to be. It's just what happens sometimes when we let our guard down and when there doesn't seem to be a pressing need. We let that self-centered mindset that, that is tearing our culture apart come inside the church and tear the church apart. But this otherness about the first church, I think it's why when the church first started some 2,000 years ago, it began to grow so crazy. It was unbelievable when the church began how fast it grew and how fast it began to change the world around it. And I want you to see just a few verses this morning uh, written by a guy named Luke. I don't know if you know much about Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. Luke was a Greek. He was an educated man, a physician. Um, and he wanted to write a story, a letter about the life and ministry of Jesus. And so what Luke did is he decided to go around and find as many eyewitnesses as he could of the life and ministry of Jesus. And he even talked to people like Mary to find out what she knew about Jesus. And he wrote this letter that was all about the life and ministry of Jesus. But he didn't stop there because the crazy thing was is when Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and then ascended to heaven, the movement that he started didn't end. The people that were his disciples didn't stop coming together. The gathering continued every week, every day in some cases. And so Luke kept writing the story, not just about Jesus, but what happened with his followers, his disciples, those who came to believe that he was who he said he was. And and what's interesting about the book of Acts, if you've ever read it, is that Luke doesn't just write it from a historical perspective as something that was happening to others, but there's several moments in the story where he's a part of the story because Luke became so convicted by the story of Jesus that it wasn't just a story that he was writing about. It was a story that he became a part of. It changed his life. And when the first church started in Jerusalem, I want you to just listen to these six verses that were written about this first church. And listen to the way Luke talks about the church. Because I'm sure that everything wasn't perfect. I'm almost positive everything wasn't sunshine and rainbows. But listen to the way Luke talks about the church as it gathered. Acts 2, we'll start in verse 42. All the believers... Just hear Luke's voice as he writes this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful description of the church when it first started? Isn't that a church you would love to belong to and be a part of. What's interesting is, if you're like me, and as you read this, you you, you notice one glaring thing missing. That in all those words and all those verses and that beautiful idea of the church as it started some 2,000 years ago, Luke actually never used the word church. In fact, if you keep reading through Acts, you don't even see the word in your English Bible, church. You don't see that word until Acts chapter 5. And even there, I don't know if you knew this, but the word translated church is not the word church. What your Bible does 
for the most part, over and over again in English as it translates word for word what the original language said to the best of its ability. But whenever it comes to the word used for church, it always substitutes the word church for the real word. And some of you know this, but some of you don't. The the actual word used there, because the word church is never used in your Bible, the word used is the word ekklesia. It's a Greek word. And it simply means gathering of people who are called out for a purpose. It, It could refer to a civic group. It could refer to a military group. It could refer to a religious group. But it was a gathering of people for a specific purpose. And the problem, and we could get into why this happened, and we could talk about Constantine and the Roman Basilicas and uh, the German Kirche, which is the word we get the word church from. I don't have time this morning to go into the history. But I think what's happened is that as we've gravitated away from ecclesia and we've gravitated towards church, what, we, what you think about when you think about church, you don't think about, you don't think about a movement, you think about a building. You don't think about a gathering, you think about an address. You don't think a group, about a group of disciples, you think about brick and mortar. And what's happened over the course of history is that for those of us who claim to follow Jesus and be believers in Jesus, is as we moved away from the idea of the ecclesia of Jesus, we've moved toward this idea of, of an address, of a location, of a place. And it's true, we gather here every week. We come together, we gather to worship, to fellowship, to devote ourselves to the same things these guys devoted themselves to, but then we scatter into the world around us. Why? For the benefit of others. Because our faith, our faith is rooted in an event. In fact, our faith is rooted in maybe the most unselfish event the world has ever known. When God sent his son, he gave him. And that son gave his life. Our faith is rooted in the most unselfish event the world has ever known. And that's why when the church began, there was an otherness about the church. They shared everything they had, and goodwill grew with all the people in their community. And God added to their number daily. Why? Because there was an otherness about the ecclesia of Jesus. And I believe in this place, this is true of us, and, and I believe we want it to be even more true of us, that there would be an otherness about us too. Years ago, I took a group on a mission trip to Mexico, and before we went, I gave everybody, about 40 people on that team, a bracelet. And I asked them, I said, I want you to read the four words in this bracelet. Every morning when you wake up, I want you to read these four words in this bracelet every night before you go to bed. I want you to read these four words in this bracelet before you complain, or maybe if someone hears you complain, they they have permission to tell you to read the four words on this bracelet. I want you to read the four words on this bracelet every afternoon when you're hot and you're tired and you don't want to do anything. I want you to read these four words, and the four words were these four words. It's not about me. It's not about me. And this is what was true of the ecclesia of Jesus in Acts 2, they knew this. They got this. It's like they all had the bracelet. They knew that, that, that we as followers, as believers, as disciples of Jesus, like this whole life, it's not about me. And we know that because we look at where our faith is rooted, the event of the cross, the event in the life of Jesus. And we see that there, Jesus would say, it's not about me. It's always been about others. 
And if we as a church, if we as the followers of Jesus ever make it about us, then we fundamentally missed who we're here for. I know we like to think we're here for us, but from our very beginning, we've never been here for us. We've always been here for others. And because God has always been about us and with us and for us, we are never more like Christ than, we, than when we are about others, when we are with others, when we are for others, when we become who Jesus wants us to become, then our life takes on an otherness about us. And when people see that kind of unselfish life, when people see a community of believers who are living their life in the aftermath of the cross, who are living their life in the aftermath of an event that was all for others, who are living their life with that same unselfish approach that we are not here for us, we are here for others. This is us. This is who we want to be. We want to be a community of faith, a community of believers who are living in the aftermath of the cross, who are living a life that is always, first and foremost, for others. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. If you're like me, you read those words in Acts 2, and you wonder... Is it even possible? Is it even possible for us to live like that? I don't know. But what if it were? What if we too could devote ourselves to the teachings of Jesus, about Jesus? What if we too could gather each week to worship Jesus? What if we too could enjoy meals together and enjoy the Lord's Supper together and be devoted to prayer? What if we too, whenever there was a need, we gave generously, even if that meant selling something, to provide the funds necessary to help the one in need? What if we too were the kind of church where God was adding to our number daily those who were being saved? Because we weren't a church. We were a movement. Because we weren't a location or an address, but we were a people who gather here, but then scatter. This is us. Real people. Real problems. Believing in a real God. But devoted to serving others the way Christ has served us. May this be who we are. May we be a people of cross-shaped love. May we be a people of selfless love. May we be a people who join Jesus in his mission to love and to reach others with the message of God's great love. This message to save. Let's sing.